You're listening to the Steve's Outdoor Adventures Podcast, where we talk about hunting, politics, sports, and everything in between. Now, here's your host, Steve West. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of the Steve's Outdoor Adventures Podcast. We're excited to be here in our new studio. We've never recorded here before. Construction just completed about two weeks ago. And we're excited to be here. I don't know about you, Travis, but it's a nice, nice space, right? Very nice space. We Convenient. Air conditioning. Yeah. Right? I mean, we moved Clark in here. We got all the cameras set up. Yep. Got different our recording. backdrop. Totally different. Everything's different. It's just an awesome space. Yep. And I'm excited to be here. Uh, joining us today is going to be uh, John Sullivan. We'll call and bring him in. Uh, it's a special episode, not just because it's the first one of season two, but John's going to go on his first caribou hunt this year. He is. Yeah, you've been on a caribou hunt. I've been on dozens of caribou hunts. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the different gears that we've taken, like what are the Travis and I's must-take items. We're going to help John prepare for his trip, not just in gear, but also in rifle, ammo, everything. We're going to take care of getting John ready to go on his first caribou hunt, yep. which, I mean, he's really excited to go on the trip. As he should be. Yes. And I think even for our listeners that may or may not have been to Alaska as of yet, it's, we want to provide them some things that they can learn from this podcast and getting to know what kind of gear that we recommend would, I'm sure lots of people would want to know about. So, well, and I, I also would recommend anybody out there listens to the podcast. If you have questions about how you should pack or prepare to go to Alaska, you should reach out to us. You can drop us emails. Uh, you can give us a call at the office. We'll help you prepare for your trip to Alaska. And if you don't have an outfitter guide, feel free to ask us about that as well, because that's what we do. We book people on their dream hunts uh, all across, you know, Alaska, North America, you know, or the world for that matter. But uh, we have a lot of experience in Alaska. We've done a lot of business there, hunted there a lot personally, and we'll help you be as prepared as possible, especially if it's your first trip to Alaska, we can help you out. So absolutely. Well, yeah. Well, tell you what, let me get John on the line here. You know, I mean, we've been busy. We're actually getting a late start because it's been like, oh, let's see how much stuff we can take care of now that the Canadian border's kind of semi-open for a minute. Yep. Officially <laughs> yesterday. Officially. Let's see if we get tra- let's see, John's ringing up here. Oh, there it is. Ring, ring. Yo. It is the legendary John Sullivan. Welcome to the Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast, buddy. What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. We, we're, we're recording right now? We are recording right now. Um, so a question for you. Are you ready to go on that first caribou hunt? Yes, I am. Yeah. Like I was telling you earlier, you know, Travis has been on a caribou hunt. I've been on dozens of caribou hunts and we want to help you be prepared for your trip. So I thought that was a perfect topic for today's podcast to, you know, have Travis and I go over our, our most, you know, most desired or must, must have items in our pack, like our top five items, plus talk about like, you know, weapon, shot placement, all of the above. So we want you to be as prepared as possible for your first, you know, caribou hunt. Perfect. I appreciate that, guys. Oh, it's are you excited for it? Dude, you know I can't wait. Anytime I get to go to Alaska, I mean it's out of all the places we go and we love them all, but Alaska is absolutely my favorite place. Yeah. And uh, you know, to get to hunt a new species and, you know, get back out there with an incredible outfitting crew, uh, it's just an awesome, awesome thing that I get to go do this. So thank you. And you go yeah. next month, do you, John? Yeah, September. Uh, I believe I fly up there September 23rd. Cool. Tw- 24th. I think you're going up 24th. the 24th. Yeah, September 24th <laughs> is your fly up day. 24th into camp or 24th into Anchorage? You'll fly the 24th into Anchorage, spend the night in Anchorage, and on the 25th, you'll take the private charter down to Sandpoint. So for anybody that's listening, John's going to be hunting Unit 9. It's the Alaskan Peninsula. He's going to be down toward the southern end of the peninsula in a really remote area that was closed for a long time to hunting, but the caribou population bounced back and it's a resident herd. It doesn't migrate. It's just an all around kick-ass place to hunt caribou. And, you know, John's going to get a chance to go out there and, you know, walk between massive big old brown bears and not have a bear tag in his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) And John, John, you'll be excited. I've I've had the chance to, to reach out to the local biologist in that area and, he was yep. saying that the the local caribou herd that you'll be hunting is on the uptick. So that's a that's awesome. a pretty good thing. Yep. Oh yeah. 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 Hopefully we get on some big bulls. Yeah. Well, so the last three seasons, the bulls have gotten bigger, bigger, and bigger. Last year's photographs, and you know, and, and the other thing is coming around is also it was a young guide crew, and this will be their fourth season guiding. Yep. Mm-hmm. So as the guide crew gets older, they learn how to hunt, you know, better. The 
Um, they're they're holding out better for the bigger trophies. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's becoming more seasoned. The caribou herd's getting better. Understanding um, their patterns. Understanding the caribou patterns. I know that when I talked to Jeremy about that, he was telling me, he goes, yeah, last year we really figured some things out from the air, which was super mm-hmm. exciting, you know, to, to be able to get into uh, bigger and bigger bulls. And everybody last year was excited. So yeah. Now, how long, Steve, how long was it closed for? How long was this herd closed for on, in Unit 9? I believe it was something like 20 years. Yeah, so that's how long the cycle is, right? I mean, that's and that's kind of a known thing with caribou population. No, like this they grow and bottleneck, and then and then have a massive die off, and then come back. Or yeah, but like in the Arctic, they're talking about that being like because that's a migratory herd that was in the millions. Uh-huh. It's going to take that population more. Like you know, they don't know because it's been a long time. But I want you to think about this. This is your timeline. In 1950, in Quebec, there were 50,000 caribou in Quebec. By 1990, mm-hmm. there were 1.4 million. Okay. So that is what 40 years yep. for it to go from bot, you know, not what it was necessarily bottom, but very low numbers yeah. to the top. And, and it could have very well been less. That's just happened to be when I think they started actually bothering to count. Yeah. Um, you know, so it could be a 40, 50, 60 year cycle on Arctic caribou. Um, now yeah. what is it on the peninsula? You know, you're talking about a local caribou herd that's in a few thousands mm-hmm. at, at most, Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big, big area and they don't migrate. So if that's the case, then that cycle would be much shorter for a much smaller population yep. of caribou. And fluctuate mm-hmm. smaller, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. going to fluctuate much smaller. You know, they might bottom out at two or 300 animals and then top out at 2,000. Mm-hmm. And that's a big difference from going from like 1.4 million to like 5,000. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're talking about, you know, apples and oranges almost, you know. Yeah. 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 But, but on, like on this hunt, we're always only going to hunt the last week of September. And the beautiful thing about that is the weather's nice and cool. The, you know, you're always going to be out there when the caribou are turning white, their necks are white, they're hard horned. Yeah. Your bulls are going to start be, you know, when you get into early October, those bulls start to rut. So this is going to be kind of like a pre-rut time. It's not that like elk where you're going to call them in or something like that, but you're going to see bulls starting to fill out, right? Like a mule deer, their necks. Well, everything gets bigger. I, I just love hunting caribou at the end of September because they look like a different creature, yep. you know, mm-hmm. in August, they're all gray and they've got that real short summer hair. Yep. Um, they've got velvet on their antlers, which I'm a big fan of velvet, but when those caribou polish those antlers off, you know, and, and they're, like I said, they start to swell up, their necks yep. turn white, their ne- you know, the manes are white. It's just a sexy trophy. <laughs> It is. And, mm-hmm. and the bulls might at that time might be thinking about kind of getting with the cows and be a little easier to spot and that kind of thing. Yeah. They're yeah. more active and they're putting, the other thing that happens is the closer you get to the winter seasons up there, which you got to remember by the first of November, the winter season, animals start to feed more. They know what time of year it is. They're going to be feed more. They're going to be up and feeding. They're going to be, you know, getting mm-hmm. more active, putting on calories before the rut, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I think it's just going to be a killer time to be out there. Now you're going to fly into a spike camp, right? So you're going to be in a tent, uh, let's talk gear. Uh, let's, let's kind of start to discuss what you should take with you as a bare minimum. Right. Um, mm-hmm. like Travis, what's the first thing on your list? Like, what would you take yeah. on, you know, from your experience when okay. you went, you know, what, what would you remember to take? So I'm going to start with something a little different, maybe a little different than somebody might think, but mine's actually not a, an item that you would put in your pack, but it is something that you should bring with you. Um, and I know that both John and you both know, or and Steve both know this, but, um, it's the right mindset when you go to Alaska. Oh, yeah. and, and what I mean by that is, um, to bring patience with you because Alaska is going to throw everything at you from poor weather to potential delays in travel. And if you allow that, those things to get to you personally, it's going to impact how you feel on the hunt. It's going to impact potentially your, you know, success and your experience overall on the hunt. Um, and so you've got to have an open mind. You've got to have patience. And if you forget to bring that on a, on a trip to Alaska, um, it's probably going to turn out pretty bad for you. So that's the first thing I'd bring is patience. Good advice. Good advice. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, John has spent, you know, a um, better part of two weeks in a tent before, um, you know, I think when <laughs> yeah. they, I think a long I, time. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, I think Jordan told me that he was losing his mind and reading the tags on his sleeping bag and whatever else he could get his hands on. But the, uh, you know, the, yeah. So, you know, definitely taking the right mindset with you on a trip like that is critical. Yep. Um, I go a little bit, you know, obviously I getting more into, let's say the items, uh, John sleeping bag, 
I place a lot of emphasis on getting a good night's sleep because if you're not sleeping well, you're not going to have mm-hmm. energy the next day. End of September, you could have nights that are down close to freezing. You know, you could be in the 30s at night. Um, yep. Then again, it could be 50 degrees at night. You just don't know. It's the Alaskan Peninsula. You know, it could be 20. It might be 60. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I'm like on that trip, I'm going to make sure that I've got a good sleeping bag rated to zero, comfort rate to zero, because you can always unzip it and let some air in. But yep. you, you can't zip them up any further than they already go. And um, but yeah, good sleeping bag and pad system. Like I've used the um, the Big Agnes system with the bag that you know goes has the integrated um, sleeping pad that slips inside, inside of it. Yep. I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. when I'm on a cot, I do not like to slip off of my sleeping pad or have my sleeping pad go squirting out from underneath me. That yep. pisses me off. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that makes sense. What have you got for a bag, John? Uh, I'm bringing a Kafaru bag rated to zero. Good. Kafaru uh, sleeping bag. Yeah. That's the one I've used on almost all my hunts, including uh, in New Mexico last year for antelope. Like you said, I mean, it wasn't necessary to have a sleeping bag rated to that temperature, but uh, at the same time, I actually just turned it over and basically used it as a blanket a year ago. Yeah. Um, that's what I took to Alaska. Every time I've been there into a spike camp, which I've done multiple times on grizzly bear hunts, as you know, Yeah. and uh, it's worked for me every single time. And I will say this is the first time I'm looking forward to being on a cot. Um, my last time up in Alaska hunting bears, I was actually hunting out of base camp, which makes for long days on the sled, but obviously a lot more comfortable sleeping conditions. This is my first time on a cot where I don't weigh 300 plus pounds because the last two, one was while I was still playing in the NFL and the second hunt was obviously right as I retired and before I became a partner at Steve's Outdoor Adventures. So yeah, um, this will be my first time on a cot. I'm hoping I'm a lot more comfortable now that I'm a lot lighter. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, you'll definitely enjoy the cot more. Um, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. What, uh, you know, I guess Travis, what is the first item you'd make sure you took with you? Well, if I go off my experience, um, and the peninsula can follow suit, maybe even more so than the Arctic region, but it would be good rain gear. You know, in Alaska, it can be really challenging to stay dry, especially on the tundra where you don't really have wood, so to speak, right there right there to make a fire and dry things out and stay warm in your tent or whatever. You yeah. just have to do no trees. There's no trees. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, like the best rain gear that's waterproof, but also lightweight. Cause you know, you're going to be walking around quite a bit. That, that would be huge for me to try and straight, try and stay dry. Have you got that Q U Yukon gear, John? I do. Okay. Yeah. I you do. definitely want to make sure you've got that. I mean, because even if you're, even if it's not raining, if the wind's blowing, it's got a nip to it, that Yukon jacket's a nice, slip over you're not trying to be quiet with caribou right they don't yeah I mean, yeah yeah, I yeah look I, I love i love all those kuyu systems i just think it's the best for layering i love their super down products how lightweight they are you know warmth to weight ratio yeah um, they're just to me they're just better than everybody else and i understand there's some really nice other you know manufacturers out there people that make stuff that's a little bit more whitetail oriented a little bit more stationary hunting oriented but when it comes to you know hiking around and needing it to be light and then warm um to me they're second to none yeah yeah, no, without a doubt. I, I mean, you just want to make sure you stay compact because you're going to be jumping in a super cub to fly out to spike camp. So, and you know, for anybody who hasn't been to Alaska, that is maybe the coolest part of hunting Alaska. I mean, obviously, <laughs> getting out there, being amongst the animals, seeing where they live, experiencing their lives, and then ultimately taking a shot on one is you know the thrill of a lifetime. But accessing camp and leaving camp in a super cub might be the coolest thing you do the entire time you're there. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's worth the know, price of admission. It really, it really is. I tell people that all the time. I mean, the adventure starts really as soon as you leave Anchorage. You know, I mean, you get into the smaller plains, and it's it's just a cool way to fly and a cool way to see the world. I mean, it's a really, really fun way to do things. And you go from a 747 to like a, a Cessna Caravan. Yeah, or to, to a know. 206. Yeah, yeah to, 206, to a 206 and then, and then 206 a Super into Cub. A cub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't get any better. Yeah. The planes just keep getting smaller the further out you go. It, it, the comparison would be like going from like um, like a cargo container all the way down to a shoebox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like a, a, mega, a mega yacht to a, you know, a jet ski. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it just, it just scales way, way, way down. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, the other, um, so like my next piece of equipment that's like a must have is just good binoculars. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're all using the signature HD, yep. you know, 1042s and that's good glass because when you're caribou hunting, once again, you're not calling them, you're hunting big, wide open country. You got to be able to, you know, look at things a long ways away. The guides will have spotting scopes, but just having binoculars so that you can, glass you know cover a lot of country with your eyes and not your feet you know saves you Mm -hmm. a lot of useless hiking um 
you know, yeah. being able to spot a caribou bull laying on a brushy hillside, you know, man, that, that scrub brush catches antlers moving around, you know, something like that. Or maybe if he's way out in the open, the ability to look out there and see if that bull's worth making the extra two and a half mile hike for, you know, yeah. um, you know, yeah, good binoculars are a must have, you know, in, in, in my world. So, um, John, yeah. what binoculars do you have? Or do you carry? I'm using the same burst optics ones you guys are. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. The signature yeah. HDs. Yeah. yeah. Those yeah. are nice glass. Yeah. 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 Great glass. Great glass. Yeah. What, uh, what's number three for you, Travis? Well, it's something I didn't bring on my hunt and that would be a form of rubber boots that you feel comfortable wearing. And also not necessarily hiking in, but walking in softer conditions yeah. with like a muck boot yeah. or yeah. I wore I, my mucks. Yeah. I Bogs. brought, yeah, I didn't. And I brought, you know, a good, um, hiking boots that are waterproof. And then I had the, um, the hippies, what I'll get, I'll get into in a minute, but, um, I wish I would have had some sort of boot that I could hike in that were rubber or neoprene. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Really? Like, I actually, I actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. Cause everything's mushy, man. Like you yeah. don't get me wrong. You, look, you're going into a hunt where you could be up on firm ground or you could be crossing bogs and bottoms. You could be anywhere down there. Right. And yeah. you know, if you've got a pair of bogs or muck boots that you can walk three, four, five, six miles in every day, take them. Yeah, leave, I agree. Yeah, leave the nice leather boots behind because the first time you go, you'll get moisture down in there and you get the rot foot and, you know, then your toes start looking like little prunes and yeah. what. I mean, that's just not good walking, you know, but um, I like I can walk all day in my bogs or mucks. I've got both, yeah. you know. The other thing to consider is when the leather gets a bit wet, there's no drying it out. No. So like they just get more wet and more wet and more wet, and eventually, <clears throat> yeah, it'll probably come through. But on those neoprene boots, it does a good yeah. job. Yeah. Do you do you have any Chota hippies, John? Uh, no. Do you have waiter boots? Mm-hmm. Okay. I do. I've got a yeah, pair. Same ones that I wore. Same ones that I wore on the Togiak. Okay. I've got a pair of the Chota hippies, a spare set, and I'm going to send them to you. You Steve, brought we're up slight, the we're slightly yeah. different. We're slightly different sizes now. If you if you uh, remember, yeah, you think they'll work. You can roll oh, yeah. them. It'll yeah. Be okay. You roll them up, roll them down. They're one leg. They're just one legged. Yeah. Gotcha. With okay. a, they have a neoprene booty, and then they go up to you know just below your crotch or whatever, and they actually hook on to like your belt loop or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they you can get boots to wear with them, and they I use those quite a bit on that hunt too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, they're just, yeah, they're, they're super, super simple. Basically you can roll them up, put them in your back and, and, and just have them out there. Even if you just had stocking feet in your backpack every day, mm-hmm. um, if you got to like a spot where you had to cross a quick, you know, pebble bottom stream or something, you can walk in the stocking feet and not soak your, you know, your bogs boots over the top, mm-hmm. you know, just, okay. um, but if you get to it, let's say you fly into a camp and they're like, Hey, we're going to be crossing this two foot deep Creek every single day. Just put them yeah. on and wear them. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, just skip over yeah. it. I, I liked them. I liked rolling them up, rolling them down. Some people don't like them because they tend to, like, if you don't hook them to your belt, they slide down. Mm-hmm. But I wore them on my moose hunt, and I loved them. Yeah. I mean, I, I crossed, you know, I crossed the whole litna, you know, multiple times in them. So, mm-hmm. and of I course, get, I got more freeboard than most people. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get asked a lot about, you know, how difficult physically caribou hunts are since we're kind of talking about what to wear on your feet and terrain and so forth. And, you know, the best way I can describe it to our listeners is that it just takes a, it's not the steep, it's not steep country. It just takes a lot of energy to move through it and to walk through it. And there's these things called tussocks, which are like these tufts of grass that you have to kind of navigate around. And then you're, when you're taking a step, you're kind of sinking down anywhere from two to six inches as you take each step. So it just takes a lot of energy to move through it. It's not steep country. That's like walking on a waterbed filled with bowling balls. Yeah, it's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. How many miles did Travis, how many miles did you put in on your hunt? Do you know? Oh, quite a bit. The one that's the, the answer that sticks out to that to me was on the last day when I actually harvested my caribou is a three and a half mile stock and then three and a half mm-hmm. mile pack back. Um, and that was, that was pretty far for that country. Cause it, you, you look at it as deceiving is, Oh, that's no big deal. We'll get over there in an hour. Well, you, you get there halfway and you're like three hours into it. And it's like, man, this takes a lot of energy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but we were, you spend a lot of time glassing. So you're not, you know, walking, you know, aimlessly every day, but when it's time, go time to try and find something, you know, get to a different glassing point or put a stock on something you could be a few miles in. Well, an open yeah. tundra, John, that's a problem. Honestly, is you spot something out there and you're like, Oh, look at the antlers on that one. Let's make a go for him. And they're walking a little further and you're walking a little further and mm-hmm. then next thing you know, you're, yeah, you're five like miles further. In, yeah. yeah. So the, my, my longest hike for a caribou 
round trip was like 11 and a half. Yeah. And that was when mm-hmm. Ian and I went and got that big Alaska caribou bull up on that ridgetop. And it was the same thing. He just, he took off walking. Then thank God he stopped, laid down and went to sleep because if he hadn't, A, I couldn't have stalked him, you know, in that open country any better than I did. But I mean, by the time we got in that night, I mean, I remember getting to the river and we had to pump up the solstice Voyager, the the boat with an air leak in it and get across the river. And man, when I crawled into my bed that night, I was beat. It yeah. was, yeah, it was, mm-hmm. I was dragging, but. But the good um, news too, that time of year in Alaska, cause you're so far North, you have a lot of daylight hours. Oh yeah. yeah. man, yeah. yeah. Take your time. Yeah. Even in September, you've got lots of time. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Hey guys, let's, uh, let's take a note here. We're kind of, uh, getting through this, you know, next piece of gear, but we need to hear from one of our sponsors real quick. And when we come back from the short commercial break, I know I've got a couple pieces of gear that I can hardly wait to talk about that I think are like must take items. And I know Travis does cause I'm staring at his list, like trying to check like, <laughs> you're, Oh you're damn, he already picked items. that one. Yeah. <laughs> well now I'm trying to find some other stuff. So we all kind of cover different bases, but uh, we're getting John Sullivan ready for his upcoming caribou hunt. And we'll be right back after this short commercial message. This segment of the Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast is sponsored by Bergara Rifles, where the people truly make the difference. Hey, everybody. We're back here at Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast. Uh, for all anybody that's been missing the first part of this, we're, we've got John Sullivan on the phone, and we're getting him prepared for his caribou hunt uh, here coming up at the end of September uh, up in Alaska on the peninsula. And we're going over some of the gear that we feel is a, a must-have item. This is you know, Travis has been on a caribou hunt. I've been on lots of caribou hunts and this is John's first one. So we want to make sure that he's got everything that he needs. Um, you know, one thing I, I, I'm going to bring up and this is like to me on a caribou hunt is like a must have because I like, you know, to take some caribou meat home with me, but on this particular hunt out there, John, the majority of the meat actually goes into the community and Mm -hmm. it, it goes to feed the elders in the Sandpoint community. Um, take, four uh like quarter game bags with you or five like to get one for the back straps and stuff um, yep. there, you know let's make sure we keep that game you know meat clean you know we encourage guys who want to take some meat home to you know take the back straps and tenderloins and you know some of the choice cuts with them um you know so make sure you got like a little cooler box or something to put it all in and, and have a game bag to put in but make sure you bring four game bags it's important to take care of our wild game meat when we're in the field Mm-hmm. Um, and caribou meat is awesome. I love the way it tastes. Mm-hmm. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it seems like a simple thing to never forget, but it seems like a lot of people forget it. Just definitely make sure you take some game bags with you. I forgot okay. before on hunt. So yeah, yeah. it always sucks yeah. when you're like trying to keep it clean. Yeah, you you're trying to borrow them for other people. It's just not a good yeah, look. I've been there. What's your, uh, what's your, what's your favorite way to cook the caribou meat, Steve? So I like to put it on the Traeger. Um, yeah. I like to cook it slow and I like to eat it medium rare. And I'm a, I'm a very, boring meat guy. I like salt and pepper, medium rare all day long. That's not boring. That's purist. I, I anybody out there that judges that needs to learn some respect. Yeah. That's yeah. how, that's how meat's supposed to be eaten. Salt and salt and heat. And that's it. And that's it. Super heat. <laughs> with with super a little bit, heat. with like a little bit of blood coming out of the corner of your yeah. mouth. Yeah. It's like nice and juicy. And keep yep. in mind, it can be overcooked really easily. Oh yeah. Like just mm-hmm. flash fry it or whatever. Yeah. Like any wild of, game meat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. when you overcook wild game meat to the point where it's dry, it loses that, all that flavor and right. that moisture. It's, it's such, you know, people forget that wild game meat is super lean so there's yeah. no fat to keep it moist as you overcook it. Yep. You know, beef can be a little bit forgiving, but caribou, moose, elk, deer, if you're eating any venison at all, man, medium rare. Yeah, at most. Well, especially those <laughs> especially those ultra lean cuts too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, you know, game bags. Yep. Make sure you got good game bags. That's a good one. Got it. All right. What's up for you, Travis? Yeah, so my next one is uh shooting sticks of some kind. Um when I was um up in the North slope and happened to have the opportunity to harvest a caribou. I brought the bog pod tripod shooting sticks and ones that you can shoot prone seated or standing. And I actually ended up using them standing up. So actually mm-hmm. didn't you, weren't they not tall enough and you had to use the camera tripod. Um, I don't know. I thought Raymond had to go hand. Yeah, that's possible. I, maybe it was one that you almost got shot, but yeah. Cause I remember all, all like, I remember was when I was getting ready to shoot, it actually fell. They fell down like the, I don't know if it, if I hit it or cause I was holding it with my left hand and putting, you know, resting my gun on the, you know, on it like this. And it fell down as I was going to shoot and I had to 
try and pull it back up and get back into the scope to find the animal. But oh, good lord! Um, regardless of what I use, I I needed if I didn't have it, but um, is is some sort of tripod shooting skips shooting sticks because I shot standing up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, it was that same two. thing, Travis. That same thing happened to me on my sheep hunt down in Mexico. Yeah, I was sitting on a mountainside, shot that sheep. Fortunately, I saw him fall as I as I broke the shot. But yeah, I released the tri- I released the uh, the tripod somehow, and it fell down on me. Yep. And I was scrambling to try to find the sheep, and then fortunately saw him fall off the mountain, so I knew he was dead. But yeah, it, it, um, it can be yeah a, same thing. Yeah, it's a stressful scenario. I think I cussed a few times <laughs> during that whole thing. So. Beep, yeah, beep. yeah, it was yeah. Uh, yeah but uh, some sort of shooting sticks, I think, is really important to bring. For sure, for sure. No, especially out there on a tundra where it's not overly level. Although that's that's said, a lot of times, as long as you're not in like high brush, a lot of times you can lay prone and shoot off your backpack too. And yeah, that's of yep. course my yep. favorite way to surface. shoot. Yeah. yeah, just remember, John, that 300 wind mag will come back and touch you between the eyes. Yeah, I think that happened once in a while. I've, with, with I've got a there. picture. No? Hey, hold uh, on yeah, a second. Let's I, share I, this photo with anybody no, watching no, no. the video. <laughs> hey, look, John's like, no, I'll no. tell you what. We, uh, you can share it. I don't care <laughs> if, if you haven't scoped yourself, you haven't shot enough. Ooh, uh, good one. Ha- happens to everybody. And, uh, I was well-prepared with my derma bond. That's in my first aid kit that I bring on every trip. And I glued my forehead right up and left it there for another eight or nine days. And then it was you know, purple. peeled it off when we got out of the bush. That's right. Yeah. It was yeah. purple. I remember that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was a fun trip. Um, and since we're, awesome, since yeah. we're talking about like shooting sticks and shooting, um, I don't know if we're going to get into this later, but in my opinion, you know, most caribou are probably shot between say 150 and 350 yards for the most part. I was going to say a hundred to 300 yards, yeah. but yeah, I mean, you're, so I, I'm not worried about like things like range finders. I mean, like John's got the eliminator four on his gun. Um, you know, while we're talking about guns, you know, let's just go there. I mean, it came up, um, on my must have list, you know, obviously is your weapon. Right. And, um, John, you're going to an area of Alaska that's got the biggest brown bears on the planet. Right. Mm-hmm. So you don't, when, when you go caribou hunting down there, you don't take a 243 or a 22250 or something like that. You know, you want to have a gun that's big enough that should you have an encounter with a bear, um, you know, you've got something that can solve a problem. And, a, you, know, yeah. you know, obviously, I'm, we're working on your 300 wind mag now. I'd like you to thank Tom for me for dragging that behind the snowmobile <laughs> for 50 or 60 yeah. miles. Hey, um, look, I got my bear before I, I gave it to him. So God, you know, thank it is what God. It is. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we just like, we replaced the firing pin spring. We're cleaning it all up. The gun's looking beautiful. We'll put the eliminator four on it. Um, since the eliminator three looks like somebody threw it at a wall five times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm going to actually send all the spare parts to Tom for Christmas. But anyway, um, you know, that having a rifle, that you're comfortable shooting, you know, on a three or wind mag with a muzzle breaker suppressor, the recoil's manageable, but it's got enough knockdown power and energy. So if you have a brown bear encounter, you can end that brown bear encounter in a favorable manner. Um, yeah. you know, it, but it also has enough range, you know, that three hundred wind mag will reach out three, four, five, six hundred yards. You I mean you could shoot a caribou at six, seven hundred yards. Caribou are not difficult to kill. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if, the, but one downside down there is the wind blows a lot, but you have a windage tree in the scope. So, um, yep. you can shoot, you know, you, you can shoot some extended distances, but, uh, you know, like those 180 grain tip triple shocks, um, you know, they've got, pl- you know, they're going to shoot right through that caribou, not going to damage a lot of meat, stay off the shoulder, you know, cause those shoulders are about the only place where there's any meat, you know, the, the fronts and hinds, but, um, mm-hmm. but you know, th- yeah, I, that's my caliber. If I'm going on a hunt up there, I'm taking a 300 wind mag and have the eliminator four scope on, I'll be shooting 180 grain controlled expansion bullets, you know, more than enough gun for the caribou, but just right enough to yeah. have, have a little insurance. Should you have a bear encounter of some kind, um, you know, and, and, you know, so John, I, I really like your setup for that trip. And, um, you know, when I get done putting about a two degree bend in the barrel to the left and whatnot, you know, <laughs> yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, anyway, you'll, you'll be set up and ready to go. In fact, I think we shipped some ammo back to you the other day that was, uh, you know, from that fire formed brass that you sent us. It arrived on my 36th birthday. That was great. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, and no, I was excited to see it. Look, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I think this will be my eighth or ninth episode filming for Steve's Outdoor Adventures now, and every single hunt that I've done has been either with a three hundred wind mag or a six five Creedmoor. Um, you know, I think that's the perfect if you're going to have two rifles, you know, to hunt North America. I think that's the perfect setup. And uh, obviously, because of those brown bears down there, I just killed a grizzly bear with this rifle at thirty yards um, in that's April. Tight. So. Hey, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. it was pretty tight. Yeah. And he was sitting on a, I mean, everybody's going to see in the episode eventually, but you know, he's sitting on a moose that he had killed three days earlier, you it know, eight foot, eight, 
Yeah. Oh, it aired. Yeah, it aired. Oh, a while ago. My Grizzly Bear episode. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I know it. Really? Did. How, how did I not know that? I, it's been a, it's been a busy summer. I've got two young kids. <laughs> um, I yeah, still haven't I, seen the episode. <laughs> and and just think, if the camera guy hadn't been such a chicken shit, the viewers would have seen the bear die too. <laughs> no, I know. You know, it, it's uh, yeah. we should have brought Wesley. You know, uh, you, it, you live and you learn. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> look, I mean, that was you know. So I've had, and granted, I know Jeremy's had much up more up close and you know up close encounters with grizzly bears and brown bears. Um, doing what he does for a living. And he had that Colt Anaconda out ready to roll because we knew we were in close with that bear. He was going to be somewhere, but um, you know, I'm happy that I've, that I've taken a bear up close, you know, like I said in the episode, you know, and I haven't watched it yet, but I, I still remember, I'll never forget. As soon as that bear stood up, I figured a bear's not going to run off from a moose that he just killed, right? His survival may depend on keeping that food. So yeah. he was only standing up for one reason and that was to charge. So I wasn't going to give him a chance to get, you know, any momentum started and coming at us. Yep. Um, but yeah, I trust that 300 win mag to perform if I need to, uh, you know, I get in a situation where it's, you know, defensive life and property and, you know, it's me and the guide or, or a bear, uh, <clears throat> the bear's definitely going down, but, nice. uh, speaking, <laughs> speaking of that, why am I allowed to be holding a grizzly bear or a brown bear tag for unit nine while I'm down there? Can we turn this into a combo hunt, Steve, or is that no. not a, that's not allowed? Well, the, the problem is, is that the bear season doesn't open until October 7th and you're hunting the last oh, five okay. days of so October September. So it's okay. So it's only DLP. I would, it would be out of season. Okay. That is correct. Yes. We would have to send important. you to jail. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want that. No, no play within the rules every time, but no great question because yeah. the reality is that you can go down there and, you know, I've actually, I'm talking to some guys about two years from now in 2023 going down, doing a five day caribou hunt, then a five day bison hunt and then mm -hmm. a 10 day brown bear hunt. And they would basically spend 20 days on the peninsula. Dude, that is, that is the, if, if anybody has the opportunity to do that, any of our clients or listeners that want to do that, that would be the coolest hunting adventure of all time. Yeah. You'd have really all the that, time in the, the world. That's the ultimate package. The literally the ultimate package, spending all that time on the Alaskan peninsula. I mean, that's oh, yeah. a once in a lifetime, Oh man, that's, that would just be so kick-ass. I mean, an incredible, yeah. incredible adventure. What about throwing a little fishing in there? Oh, I the silvers we, are running. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I thought we yeah. did that. It, are the, do the coho run that late? Yeah. The silvers start running the last few days of September and that first week of, of October. Um, yeah. so like when guys get tagged out early, if they've got time, they can get over and go catch some silvers mm -hmm. on the main river there and. It's pretty cool. They've got um, rods and spinners and stuff there at the cabin. So it's different. It's different. It's a different silk time for the silver run down there than it is up on the Togiak. Oh, yeah. By a long shot. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's off by a couple months. Yeah. In fact, if you get – there's places on the Togiak that come in on the other side of the kind of the peninsula where the silvers don't run until the 1st of October. Really? So, okay. So if the, if, the, if the coho run is that much later down there, is the king run that much later? Could you go down and fish kings on the front end before the – no, before the caribou hunt. No, no it doesn't that, extend that way. Yeah, that, There's no King run on that river that I know of. There's no, no King. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, they got a nice big run of pinks that comes in and I believe every other year. I mean, there's, there's different mm -hmm. salmon for different rivers and different times. And obviously that's a big draw for these bears, right? These bears are like down in the river bottoms. That's why the caribou hunters always see some bears off in the distance, but for the most part, the bears are down in the river bottoms eating fish the caribou yeah. are up on these big grassy flats mm -hmm. and rolling hills and up in yeah, the top. They're getting they're not stupid. They're getting ready for winter. Oh yeah. Putting on some groceries. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm ready for another one. Do it. What's okay. the next piece of equipment? So obviously, you know, temperatures and area of Alaska and, and wind and moisture and heat and all those things um play a role in this, but I would never go to Alaska without a some sort of bug net for my head. Mm -hmm. Just kind of no matter what. It's just yeah, yeah. I know this is later in September yeah. and it's probably not a problem, but I, I, it can be if it's a warm year. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I mean, they can roll up in this little tiny ball. You don't weigh anything. May as well no. just throw it in there. Yeah. A head nets, a, in my opinion, is a must have in mm -hmm. looking at your list. Do you have something on your list? Uh, I'm going to steal. You. I'm going to screw you because it, it okay. was on my list. Um, I know John has it. I know he would never leave home without it. And I know that I never leave home without mine is the DeLorme in reach or a satellite phone, yep. but they, they in reach. Yep. I mean, we're all, we carry the inreaches. Actually, you inreached me from your where you killed your bear last year, and I yep. put I put Same it on my sheep. map. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I've got them on our maps. On it's on. I saved them all on my my own um, 
Uh, you're my second. Sure. You're my second in reach message every single time I kill an animal in a remote place. Steve. Did you put your wife ahead of me? Yes, my wife's ahead of Son you. Of a- <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it's, it's really she's the messenger in yeah. that scenario. It's because my oldest boy wants to know. Of course he does. So it's for. Uh, I've got a great video of of my wife telling Harry that I got a bear the next morning when he woke up. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So so they are first, and you are second. And second place silver is great. I think a silver medal is you know something to be celebrated. But yeah, the first thing I do is I send a message to Ariel so she can tell Harry, and then I send a message to you. I get a and, I get a participation trophy. Yeah. That's my yeah. That's, my <laughs> that's, that's my another part. topic for another day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will say this though, as the way that translates into hunting, and and I don't mind taking silver to Ariel. Um, I really don't. Anyway, <laughs> the uh, um, you know, if you don't get a caribou you don't get a participation trophy, John. Yeah, no, I wear, I'm aware. Yeah, I'm going to get a caribou. Yeah. I know you will. I know you will. So, um, I'll I tell still, you what, you, well, you were nice enough to give me an in reach when I first started here five years yeah. ago. I still use it monthly now. Oh yeah. yeah. I, They're, mine's in my truck because yeah. I travel to places all the time, whether I'm just driving 20 minutes from here and I'm in a Canyon without service, or if I'm in Alaska or the yeah. Northwest territories or even Mexico, the in reaches my mode have. of comfort. Yeah. 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 I, guys, Mine comes on every trip. Yeah, guys, we got to take another uh, quick break. We've got to hear from another sponsor. We got to pay the bills here. Uh, but when we come back from commercial break, I've got a couple pieces of equipment that so do I. Gonna I got blow more. your mind. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back after this short commercial break. This segment of the Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast is sponsored by Pendleton Ammunition. Hand loaded, one round at a time. All right, we're back here at Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast. Uh, Travis and I are filling John in on all of the equipment that he should make sure he takes with him uh, to Alaska. Um, small. Th- this seems like a really small thing, but I, there's one item that there is no way I'm going to forget to have in my pack. Not What's that? A headlamp with extra AAA mm-hmm. lithium batteries. Um, the number of times I have been... Oh, that was on your list. Should I didn't even see that one? <laughs> Thanks for checking off my list, dude. I didn't, but I mean, but extra batteries is critical. I've been on a hunt where I was hiking in in the middle of the night and had my headlamp go dead, and I was like tearing my backpack apart. Couldn't find anything, like no extra batteries. So then I spent the rest of the night stumbling, tripping, falling. Yeah, extra batteries, good headlamp, making sure that you have those. Must have item. I bring two. <laughs> yeah. Two headlamps. Yeah. So you have a spare for somebody else. Yeah. Um, Not even a bad idea. I've I've done that once or twice, but for the most part, I just make sure that I'm covered because I'm selfish. But I also Mm -hmm. know that if I can walk without stumbling and falling, I'm going to make, I'm I'm keeping that guide or the other people I'm hunting with, you know, safe as well because they're not, I'm not falling on them and they're not having to carry my broken leg ass in. So I don't think anybody's carrying you in regardless, Steve. (laughs) No, probably not. But, no. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What's up okay. on your list? I've got possibly a funny one, but um, I, on no matter what hunt I go on, I always have in my pack wet wipes. I cannot go and will not go on a hunt, no matter what it is without them. Whether they're baby wipes, dew wipes, I don't care what they're called. I have to have them. I'll tell you what. I, I I'm a one up you on that. Okay. I take the blue, like you buy at Walmart, those blue shop towels yep. that, that come in a roll. Yep. And I'll peel off like 40 of those squares and I fold them up small and put them in a Ziploc bag. bag yep. And I have those as well. Yep. Those are, I call them scraper paper. Yep. Whatever, it, whatever <laughs> it needs to be. But I, I just, See, I, I'm, I'm going to want up both of you guys. So my only endorsement deal I had the entire time I was in the NFL was with one wipe Charlie's. So I was nice. actually a paid, I was actually a paid professional by Dollar Shave Club for butt wiping because I'm playing center. <laughs> you did one up. Uh, my quarterback, the highest paid guy on the team, his hands, the cleanliness of his hands depended upon my butt being clean. Yeah. <laughs> now that I did that in my last career, I got to say, I, I'm going to bring everything. I probably will not bring wet wipes. It's what? just the type of, th- I just don't, I just don't. You're not a wet wipe. You know, a wet wipe I'm just guy. not a wet wipe guy. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, do my business somewhere on the tundra and then if I have to, I'll drag myself along the tundra like it's a carpet, and I'm a bulldog. <laughs> and then from there, I'm gonna I'm gonna head out and get a caribou, and I'll and I'll worry about cleaning myself when I get back into civilization. Yeah. You know, like even, look, I mean, we I was I was on the Togiak a couple weeks ago, and I was there for seven days. I don't think I showered once. I just tend to not shower when I'm in Alaska. You know, it's almost like. It's almost like I just have the license to not have to be clean. And I, <laughs> yeah. I fully embrace it, and yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, cool. I just, I just call it Canadian showers when I just use the white wet 
wet wipes underneath the armpits, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but Canadian I, showers. But I've seen John in April up there on the tundra, like crawl out of his tent and just his long johns, and they're halfway down his ass, and that that just. There's part of that that's just like, dude, you need to jump at a creek once in a while. <laughs> uh, no, but but I actually kind of follow what you're saying, John. You get up there and you kind of want to like blend in with nature and go all natural, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's no. Pre- it's not like I'm going to run into people on the street like I do at home, you know, and like if they're going to be offended if I haven't showered in three days. Nah, you yeah. know, the grizzly, they're the brown bears and the caribou and the guides. They don't care. Good so, point. I just hey, when, I embrace it. When you were on the brown bear hunt at South Fork, did you go jump in the steam? I did not use the steam while I was there. No, <gasps> that's no. a religious experience. That's yeah. just wrong. I mean, that's I, I honestly I should have I should have done it. I was you know in anticipation of the hunt. I wasn't going to do it, and then honestly, I've done a lot of physically taxing things in my life. I mean, I played in the in the NFL for 11 years. I know it's come up a few times on this podcast. I probably sound like a douche talking about it. No, no, you're but, a legend. Um, yeah, I mean, I played for 11 years. I, did, I had a lot of hard practices, hard training camps, things that were tough. Nothing I ever did was harder than that, that grizzly bear hunt that I did um, in April. That was the hardest thing I've ever done. I mean, the, the amount of time on the sled and people think, Oh, well, you're riding a snow machine. Well, no, I mean, that's a lot of hard work. And then to hike up, you know, up a mountain on snowshoes, post holing every other step. Then from, you know, the saddle to the peak, the peak down across the opposite face into a drainage and then back up that drainage 600 yards in it for a total of five miles was the hardest thing I've ever done. And then another four hour ride back on a, you know, a tundra or on a tundra too. I mean, it was physically taxing. So by the time I got back, I couldn't bring myself to get in the sauna. I was so, I was so beat up and tired. I was like, you know what? I don't even want to get undressed. Yeah. I was, I was wiped. Screw it. Yeah. You just want to yeah. crawl into bed at that point in time and just like suck your thumb for a while. Yeah. And yeah. that's basically what I did for a couple of days. I mean, it was like, you know, I recovered for a few days and then, um, made sure, you know, all of our hunters that were there in camp were good to go. And then, you know, it was about Basically, you know, I, part of you wants to stay and hang out in camp and be there in Alaska. But, you know, once you've got your bear, you're just eating, you're eating food that could be for everybody else. You know, you're, and then you're, you're not really productive anymore, right? Cause they need the sleds. You got to reallocate all your resources. So like keeping an extra mouth to feed and person to look after in camp is not necessarily, you know, an asset. So I took off and, you know, fortunately all our guys got opportunities. Most of our guys got bears and, um, you know, I went, I took it in, but. I yeah. was, I was wiped. So I never got in that. No, I never got in the steam. I never got in the sauna. See, if I'd have been you, John, I would have stuck around and been Jack's sous chef. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I would have steamed like three times a day. That's, well, the issue was, I the issue was they played, they played that hot sauce prank on me. So I wanted to, I wanted to punch Jack in the face before I left. So I had to just take off, even though I love Jackson, he's maybe my favorite person, but I, <laughs> I love that kid. I mean, we've been on a lot of hunts together at this point. He's, he's awesome. And I'll never forget him supplying us with fresh ptarmigan on the tundra back in yeah. 2019. That was incredible. Yeah. Kept hearing 22 shots all across the tundra. It was amazing. So what, uh, you know, it, obviously we've talked about like now dude wipes and that somehow spun away into, you know, saunas three and- saunas and three other topics and, and whatnot. But, you know, here's a, here's a piece of equipment that most people have overlooked. I've seen a lot of guys show up in camp without them. Um, you know, there's a lot of assumption that the guide's just going to have it and, it, and, I, and they will have it. But I'll, I'll always have a Havilon. I'm always going to mm-hmm. have a Havilon with some extra blades. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I want to make sure that the guide isn't there skinning and quartering my caribou all by himself. Mm-hmm. I know that I'm going to cape it, you know, for a trophy better than most other guides, not all, but most. And I know that I'm going to want to have my own equipment, like to do the, ta- you know, do the it's task. Also just contributing to the cause, you know? Yeah. But what happens if you get there and the guide's like, oh crap, I forgot my pack. I forgot my, you know, he's human. Yeah. You know what? I want to be the guy that's like, watch, I got my Here's knife. Your knife. Yeah. I got a knife here. By the way, I brought two, you know, I have a big mm-hmm. one with the big long blade and then I have a little one, you know? And so you want to make sure that you've got a good knife, you've got extra blades, you know, I, I, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make sure that I've got, got my knives. I, I, and, and just from a safety standpoint, I mean, how often has it been like, 
It was just nice to have a knife to get something done. I mean, yeah. yeah. Use it for other things too. Totally. Yeah. You know, I used one to cut bullets out of a gel block the other day. I mean, you're gonna, they, <laughs> they come up every day. I cut a steak with one the other night. You yeah. Know? So anyway, just knives in general, I would make sure that I've got a knife in my pack without yeah. a doubt. And, and speaking of pack, just, you've got a good day pack. You've got what that Everly Stock X1 or something like that, John? Yeah, Everly Stock, the one with the gunsling in it, with yeah. the rifle sling in it. I love, and I love carrying the rifle like that. That way it's not over one side. I mean, I, I, I had back problems from my time playing football. So um, to be able to carry that weight in the center, you know, in the slung in the center of the pack as opposed to off of one hip. Yeah. or slung across the chest is, uh, is really nice for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I love that's the same packs. pack I took. Yeah. The yeah, same pack awesome, I yeah. use every time I go anywhere. Is it the, you... is it the M five or the X five or the, I think it's an X one. It's, it's the X one. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. Euro, Everly Euro. stock X one Euro <clears throat> Euro with the gun boot. Yeah. 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 That's the, to me, that's like the, the perfect day pack. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got other configurations of it now, I think, but for me, that's my go-to pack without a doubt. Yeah, it's built well. Yeah, I just like the way it rides. The only time I go away from the really stock is like if I if I was doing like a brown bear hunt, and being the biggest guy usually means you get to carry the bear. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'm going to take like my frontier gear pack, my great big freighter, because I can put a ten foot brown bear in it. But mm-hmm. um, but if I'm doing like day hikes like that, where I'm just going to throw a quarter over my shoulder and walk it out, yeah, X one X one E every yeah, time. Yeah, just 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 so we're clear for the listeners, mine is the M five. Oh, it is. Everly Stock M5 RMEF Team Elk Pack. Oh, oh he's got the RMEF yeah. pack. Yeah, they gave it a different yeah. number, but yeah. for all yeah. intents and purposes, it's basically the same, same pack. pack. Yeah, yeah. So yeah I just, I just wanted bigger. to make sure I gave the, the specific model. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, yeah. I, I yeah. No, all good. You must be sitting next to your gear right now. What you got everything laid out in front of you? What have you got? No, I just pulled. I just put my phone. I just pulled, pulled my phone out in front of me. Put you guys on speaker real quick and Google it. Oh, <laughs> nice! <laughs> I'll tell you what nice. I do have though. Laying here is my antelope from New Mexico last year. It needs to go up on the wall. Nice. I haven't gone around to hanging him up yet, but yeah, he just showed right. up. <laughs> I'll get a plane ticket and bring my drill. We'll shoot a screw in <laughs> no, the wall. And we'll get I don't think you need to come. I don't think you need to come from Oregon to Connecticut to do that. But yeah. if you want to just come hang and shoot and <laughs> you know well, smoke I'm do- cigars. I'm, I'm do- totally I'm, down. Yeah, smoke cigars. All right, I'm in. I'm because I'm sure you don't smoke crappy cigars. So no, I don't. I don't smoke crappy cigars. That's yeah. right. Well, we're due for a campfire club call. So yes, we should make a great. trip out there. Let's um, do it. All right. Next item up. What's yep, on next your list? item up? And I don't know what you bring for canteen purposes, but I always have um, like a canteen and also a filtration system, John, that I bring. And I think on that hunt specifically in Alaska, I brought what's called a life straw. Um, yeah. It has a little filtration system built in if you want to just use that, but definitely some sort of water bottle, some sort of canteen, something like that. To, yeah. I mean, filtered water mu- bottle. Yeah. Filtered yeah. water. Filtered you got to have bottle. it. Yeah. yeah. Life straws. Life straws what I carried in Alaska. That's what I'm bringing again yep. this time. Yep. Yeah. Same, same, same. I mean, up those way. streams, like if you're in a creek bottom that's had like 5 million sockeye swim up it and rot and die, you know, yeah. that water probably doesn't taste awesome at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some yeah. dead, dead, dead fish particles floating through there. Yeah. The ability to, you know, filter your water, drink it, critical. Definitely yep. take care of water because water is hydration. Hydration yep. is life. And without water, you're yep. not going to hike 10 miles. So nope. yeah, keep away beaver fever too. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't hurt anything. Yeah. That's not- yeah. <laughs> so, you and know, I, I guess, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say the other thing was like, even with a pair of muck boots and I've used this before, like if I'm using like a shin high muck instead of one that's like a knee high muck, remember you can always take gators and run gators over the top of them. But mm-hmm. if you're going to buy um, some mucker bogs boots. Um, we'll go like knee high, and I'll look through those tonight, John. And if I've got a pair of little fourteens, um, all that mm-hmm. are knee high, I'll ship those to you with the <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> with the chud hippies. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank no you. problem. You can always um like stuff paper in the front end of some sixteens. I know I've got some more size sixteen boots. So, <laughs> Travis, what size is your shoe? Uh, boots like eleven. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Oh, yeah, he I'm fu- not in the teens. He's not uh, in the you teens. You guys got me beat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on. But one thing I was going to say that kind of goes along with with being hydrated is I always bring electrolyte, uh, either pills or like the effervescent things you drop in the water that kind of bubble mm-hmm. up. Th- those are a game changer for me, and I've always used those. I've, there, there's an outfit out of uh, Utah that's got the, I think they're like mountain sports, something like that. I, I, I've looked that, but they sent me a whole bunch of these little, um, they're called Yukon. No, it's a, a droplet. So you put the Yukon uh, in their hydration. Um, like John, a you tab, remember? Like a, a yeah, tablet or a droplet? No, it's an actual liquid droplet. 
And then yeah, um, yeah. Th- they also sent me Basecamp, which is the tablets that I can eat. But yeah. um, remember a couple of years ago when we were doing that hunt in 2019, I was getting like, I was cramping up all the time and man, I was yeah. just like, I couldn't drink enough water. And yeah. I mean, God, that was a painful, painful trip. I mean, I actually got back and I got diagnosed with being low in potassium. And yeah, yeah potassium yeah. deficiencies. That'll, that'll so, cause you to cramp. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a mother. And, uh, I will say this, I, I was actually talking to Jack about this the other day. That was one of those times when I remember Jeremy saying, Hey, just stay up here. I'll fly up here and pick you up in the airplane. And I was like, no oh. way. There is Look, no I've way. told, I've told a lot of people about you, Steve, since we, you know, especially since we became business partners, but really since, you know, I became a client way back when, before I first called into the office to book that grizzly bear hunt. And, uh, the story I continuously go back to is that day where you had every excuse in the world to quit post holing coming out of that really snotty snowed bottom where that, when that bear had escaped in the middle of the night and uh, you know, you didn't quit that day and you made it back to the sleds and then made it back to camp and then emerged the following day, ready to hunt again. I, I gained a lot of respect for you that day. That took a ton of mental toughness. Um, you know, and I know that I'm not chiming in here. I'm, I'm, I'm being educated in terms of the hunt that's coming up, but, uh, one of the things I do on every hunt and I make sure to do is I show up for my hunts in shape. Oh yeah. That's a big you know, thing. like we talk about, you talk about mindset, mental toughness, all that. And look, that goes a long way, but like if your body quits, your body quits. I mean, <laughs> look at a, look at an Olympic athlete at yeah. the end of the marathon. Right. And the, I mean, those people can't be better trained or can't be stronger mentally. And sometimes their bodies just give up. Um, you know, I did five miles today on an incline treadmill. I mean, I show up, and a lot of the times I train dry. So, I mean, I'm fasted in the morning and then I haven't had anything to drink yet. And I make sure I get my cardio in before I give myself anything. So I want to make sure I'm trained up in those specific circumstances um, and that my body's used to it. Um, and I figure that way, as long as I've gone through more adversity in training than I have when I'm actually out in the field, I'll be fine. But yeah. it's very important. And the other thing with hunting is it's a great reason, like, right? Like if you're a person it's who's an just excuse. not, yep. yeah, exactly. If you're not, if you're a person who's not a really good self-motivated person to get on a treadmill or get outside and hike or walk or run, you know, use hunting and use this, you know, the achievement that hunting presents you or the opportunity for achievement that hunting presents you to get your ass off the couch and get training for something. You know, some people do need a goal and, the, you know, it's an amazing goal to have a, a really physically taxing hunt to motivate you. Um, you know, just use that as a tool. That's another thing that's, I think is no matter what hunt you're on, um, is super important. Well said. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, I was going to say about like on that trip, going back to like the cramping was when, when I got diagnosed as being like potassium deficient, I was like, dang, you know, now when I do, well, now you get up every day and you take your two potassium tablets, blah, blah, blah. But when I go mm-hmm. on a hunt, I wanted to have things that were like going to help me boost my hydration, right. To like cut down on cramping and you know, so am I going to take my potassium tablets with me? Yes. But I'm also going to take that, like the, 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 like that Yukon droplets, or I'm going to take the base camp, um, you know, uh, tablets, something like that, that I'm going to boost my body's ability to take in, you know, hydration and distribute it to my muscles and cut down on my cramping. So like, like, like Travis saying, like something that's like electrolytes and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, like your body might be getting ready to quit, but sometimes you can throw a little more fuel in it to keep it going. And yeah, you need salt. Salt is what electrolytes are. I mean, that's yeah. when, when we were always in training camp, it was like, especially you can taste your salt. And if your salt tastes really sweaty, it means you're a salty sweater. You're losing a lot of electro, a lot of electrolytes through your sweat. So you got to salt your food. I mean, that's, I mean, granted, it's great to have those pouches and the powders and all that stuff that comes along with it. But if you don't bring that stuff, just make sure if, if, you know, if your outfitter and your guide is kind enough or, you know, to bring salt to camp, salt the crap out of your food. Yep. You know, any meal they is, make, just dump salt on it. Yeah, and, and you can't just pack a bunch of Gatorade on a lot of these hunts, right? No. It's just not possible. No. Yeah. No, that's yeah, a You got to get a con- concentrated forms and then, yeah, yeah, put it into water. All yeah. right. All right. What else you got, Travis? Well, I'm kind of going through my list. I've covered most of it that I can see. Um, or you mean I think Steve John- covered most of it? Yeah. <laughs> Steve stole most of my list. I heard you know, briefly you said um, – uh, first aid kit, I think you mentioned just kind of in did, when yeah. you're, yeah. And that's another one that I always bring with my, you know, on any hunt in my pack, just some band-aids, you know, some gauze, some wrap, whatever it is. Just, you never know if you cut yourself. Super glue or, and duct tape, dude. Come yeah, on. that works too. But I think <laughs> Honestly, just having a small first yeah. aid kit's critical. Yeah. yeah, I always have, I always have a broad spectrum antibiotic, Zofran, Imodium, Dermabond, and then a tourniquet. Yep. Tourniquet. 
definitely oh, yeah. planning for the worst. I have a belt. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, but that's, but that's what it does. I mean, that's, that's, that, my, that's where my tourniquet is a lot of times is I have a tourniquet belt. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it, it's a belt that turns into a ratcheting tourniquet. And I mean, look, I, I have a little brother that just retired from the military. He was in 18 Delta, and, you know, us army special forces. He was in seventh group for, I guess he got his green beret in 2016. And before I went on that hunt with you in 2019, he had just, during that time, he had graduated from Ranger School just to go get his Ranger tab. His, his MOS was still, you know, in Special Forces. And uh, he was like, do you really? And I had that ratcheting tourniquet belt. And he was like, do you really understand how to use this? Can you do it with one hand? And I'm like, look, well, I'm not worried about, you know, the bear shooting me in the arm. And then I've got to apply a tourniquet. So it's a little bit different than a combat scenario, which is obviously where he's coming from. But as an 18 Delta, which is a special operations medic, you know, they're as trained up as you're, they're trained as well as anybody in the world you know, to deal with that, those types of injuries and making sure that they get people stable until they can get to further care, which really is the scenario you're facing in Alaska, right? Yeah. I and mean, that's part of why the Garmin is so important is you hit that SOS button. It's like, you got to survive until they can come get you and get you to the people that can really treat you. So yeah, the tourniquet's always with me. Nice. Nice. Well, I wouldn't have thought, I mean, cause once again, you keep a belt. I, I figured I'd just suck it down as hard as I could. And then <laughs> Just cuss a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt that'll work. Yeah, you know, and, and yell at somebody with me. Hopefully, it's you, and you can like ratchet it down, pull it like super hard, and get the you know get the blood flow cut off. But yeah, that, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that's worst case planning and scenario, and yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's some, you know, once again, this is something that's not necessarily an item to take along. Um, but I, I think that something that a lot of people forget is that when they go on a hunting trip, especially someplace like Alaska, like it's not so much just taking your patience or your understanding with you. It's taking along like a sense of humor mm -hmm. um, because you don't know, like it could like rain one day, shine the next, and then it might snow. And then before lunch, it's going to sunshine again. And you might not be able to see the mountains. And I've been on trips with people that got out there and they were like, we're two days in and this just isn't happening. The weather isn't good. I want to go home. Um, it's like, you got to go out there and be like, look, this is a five day hunt for a reason and take a sense of humor and some patience with you. And, you know, and really you know, be willing to pass up some marginal caribou the first few days. Cause once again, on your trip, John, you've got five days, mm -hmm. um, you know, be patient, wait for the one that you really want. You know, if you get to the last, if you're seeing a lot of caribou and you know, you can always shoot just a nice bull on the last day, you know, hold out, wait out for something that's exceptional. Yep. Um, yep. you know, try to, you know, be, be patient and take a sense of humor that, you know, Hey, you know, maybe the, you know, like here's a perfect example. Let's say they get flown, you get flown in a spike camp, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, Oh man, we forgot the food box. You know, the food box needs to get flown in from base camp, you know, in the hustle and shuffle, the food box got forgot, you know, you're probably going to have, this is something else. I was on my pack. You have two or three candy bars, mm -hmm. maybe some dried fruit, some snack or something mm -hmm. like that in there. You can survive to the next day just because, you know, something like the food got forgot for a night. Doesn't mean the airplane's not going to deliver it the next day. You know, yeah. be, be understanding, roll with the punches because maybe when you arrive, like here's, here's an, this has happened before you fly into Sandpoint, the weather's too crappy to get out. Like the Cubs can't fly. Somebody meets the flight down there and like, Hey, here's the deal. Jeremy and the guys can't get over to pick you up because it's blowing 60 miles an hour and they've got a storm sitting on. It's supposed to be better tomorrow. Um, let's get you guys over to the hotel. Everybody check into a hotel room and, and, you know, wait it out. And tomorrow we'll be back down here at the airport to fly you over. That's no one's fault. That's just mother yeah. nature taking a crap on your hunt. Right. And it's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Right. So to be able to take a, a, like a sense of humor, some understanding, you know, the, 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 you know, realizing that's not the outfitter's fault and, and just suck it up and get on with it. That's that to me, that's something that a lot of hunters in today's world, everybody wants that instant gratification. Like I paid for a hunt that starts tomorrow and somebody better get me over there to the mainland, you know, so I can do my mm -hmm. caribou hunt. I mean, that's the guy that I kind of want to put my hands around his neck and be like, yeah, you're, <laughs> by the way, buddy, you're not going to make it to the caribou hunt tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's hard. Yeah. There's, there's an expectation a lot of the times with clients, right. That it's like, okay, well, we paid you to get this set up for us and it's, everything's got to go without, it, without a hitch. And it's like, well, look, part of what makes this so special, you know, and the reason that not everybody can do it is you've got to be able to, you know, deal with adversity, deal with these circumstances and understand that like, look, you're on a real adventure. Like we're not selling you something cookie cutter. We're not selling you something fake. Yeah. Like you wanted to come on a real hunting trip. Well, you're now you're in Alaska when you're in Alaska, things are real and no, but there's no human being. That's the boss. Mother nature is the boss and yeah. we're all at her mercy. And you just have to understand that and do the best that you can. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, my first two times up there, I didn't get, I didn't get anything. One of them, I was snowed into a 10 for 10 days. I I remember Steve, we talked and I immediately rebooked and I was like, I'm not going to let this beat me. I mean, I ended up, I ended up not killing a grizzly bear until my 25th day hunting grizzly bears. Whereas one of the clients on that trip killed a grizzly bear the first morning he'd been out with no target. You know, him and Jordan left, left spike camp and (laughs) ran into a giant boar and shot it. You know, he was done in like six hours. Some people so were just, just meant to have shit house luck. It's, yeah. Well, look, you know what? You know, the funny part though, I think I had the better luck because yeah. by the time I killed that bear, it was the that most warrior. meaningful thing I've ever done in terms of hunting by far. It was I mean, an that experience. Was, I struggled for it. I struggled for that damn bear and that's my bear and that's my bear forever. And I appreciate that bear because I struggled for him. Yeah. And yeah. because that, that last day on our trip in 2019 with, you know, the Wolverine and the wolf and the grizzly bear in the bottom and all the crazy circumstances surrounding that all within 10 minutes of each other too, which is, we've got to tell that story at some point, but, um, you know, and bombing down the opposite side of the mountain and through the alders chasing that bear, you know, like all those experiences are part of ultimately ending up with that animal. And, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's one of the coolest parts of Alaska is that you really do have to come with that mindset of like, yeah, find some, find some humor, find a way to deal with the fact that this is going to suck. And that the real reward here comes in reminiscing about it because it was so hard to get through it when you were doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I would kind of add to that, and I talk to our clients a lot about this and I know John, you'll appreciate this with your sports background and Steve, you and I talk about this almost daily is don't forget to be present in the moment, every moment that you're there, because Mm -hmm. you know, you never know what the future holds. And for some people it's, either the first or the only or the last, you know, experience they have in Alaska and just to slow things down, forget everything at home, forget everything at work and just live in the moment as it comes and and you'll have a pretty good experience. Well, you'll enjoy what happens more. I mean, I, I struggle with, like you said, being present because I'm in five different places at once. My mind is thinking about these other things, but the best hunting experiences I've ever had were when I was able to tune out everything else in the world And just be there at that moment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and, and, and I have to say, that's probably one of my biggest challenges with hunting is enjoying the trips. I, that's probably why I've stepped back and let you guys do the trips more because I, a, I've already done them. So it's easy for my mind to wander like, okay, what's going on at the office? Did the ammo, the guys in the ammo company get all the right stuff loaded today? You know, did the girls get everything shipped out? They were supposed to was the phone answered every time, you know, yeah. you know, what's going on with the construction on the building. So my mind is on 50 different places and it's hard for me to be right there and right then in that moment. Um, but like John, when you shot your first bull elk, you know, at that moment, I remember thinking about that. So it's amazing. You bring that up, Travis. I remember actually thinking about that when we got up there and started that stock and we we're belly crawling across that, that flat, you mm-hmm. know, to get that over the top of that ridge, to get that shot. I remember yeah. actually thinking to myself as we were about halfway through that stock, I was like, I need to tune out everything else for the next little bit and make sure John gets this bull. I want, I wanted to be able to help you the best I could and be present for you in that moment. So you could truly embrace, you know, like embrace success at that moment. Cause I knew it was going to go down. I was like, this is, if we do this right, it's going to happen right now. Like not tomorrow. Yeah. It's going to happen right now. So focus. And I got mm-hmm. dialed in. I was probably overly a little bit intense. I may have given people some, some hardcore looks, you know, some <laughs> intense, some of that intensity, you know? Um, but yeah, hey, we got it done. Yeah, yeah. Was, I'm, I'm staring at that ball on my wall right now. Attaboy. I'm literally sitting beneath him in my office. Yeah. What a, what an amazing, what an amazing experience that was. It was, it was fun hunt. It was a good time. It was you're, fun. Yeah. And you're yeah. going back, you're going to hunt on the neighboring ranch this year and you're going to get your Shirus moose. I know. Nice. Yep. Yep. Going to go in October. That's going to be a good time. So there's some big things coming up here, you know, for you got, you know, John, you're going to have a great fall. You really are. I'm, I'm, I can't wait. I'm excited for you big time. And, um, you know, I know it's going to make some great television. We're going to put good people in the field with you. We're going to capture some good television. I'm not going to send you out there with any more of these weak dick losers. And look, do um, I get, do I get, do I get Wesley white on both trips? Yeah, you can have Wesley on both, and I'll probably throw then, Jack out there with you. I know he's a yeah, little look, green I, and weak. And I will take – you know what? Wesley Wesley is incredibly talented and awesome and tough and knowledgeable, and he'll be a great mentor for Jack on those trips in terms of working the cameras in whatever way. Yeah. Um, yeah, he'll get – you know, I've, I've you know filmed a lot with Wesley now, and I'm a huge Wesley White fan. You know that. Yeah, yeah. He's great at fishing. We just need to transition him into the hunting world. Uh, by the way, we set he's up his though. office today. 
So nice. his office desk got built today. I'm thinking about, so he's going to be here in 48 hours. Okay. Mm-hmm. And when he gets here, I'm going to have like some big presentation for him in his office. Like, you know, like this is Wesley White's office. Right. So I got to, he's got to feel it. We want him here for the, you know, to be our fishing consultant and be an on-site videographer and, it'd just be a great asset for us to have in house. And he, he's an amazing and, asset. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so at some point in time, I could see this becoming, you know, real. And, and so it's exciting, you know, to be able to bring more people in house and build our media house up and, and have a great future to getting projects done. And, and, yeah. you know, even thing, little things like recording and editing the podcast and all of those stuff. I mean, those are, those are things that take people and, and that's not something that's lost on me. I've got to make sure we've got good people. We surround ourselves with good people and they're here 24 seven, 365, So that, you know, they're a part of our team because we live the Steve's outdoor adventures lifestyle. It's not, you know, John, that's something that you probably feel a little bit being in Connecticut, but the people who are here, like being at Steve's outdoor adventures, isn't just a job where you show up and you're like, Oh, mm-hmm. it's my Monday through Friday, eight to five. I suppose it could be for the secretarial staff, you know, but for those mm-hmm. of us that are in the field, we're filming, we're recording, we're doing it's a lifestyle. Like we, it's literally like what we live is Steve's outdoor adventures. And it's not lost on me how special that can be. Um, mm-hmm. And we're so close to, you know, the next level, like this fall, we're going to take it to the next level. I feel it. Um, we're going to be doing some training on Friday, Saturday um, with the cameras and whatnot. We're going to make sure that what we do this year sets the bar for all future years. Yep. So yep. I love it. I'm excited for it. Well, guys, we've been at it for over an hour now, Mm -hmm. and we've covered all the topics. John, do you have any questions left that we might want to uh, discuss? You know, any questions you might have, any, you know, any concerns about the caribou hunt? None, none whatsoever. I feel totally prepared. Very good. Awesome. Best of luck, John. Thanks, Travis. For sure. For sure. Well, John, I'm sure I'll talk to you again on the phone the next few days as we cover business topics and stuff like that. But uh, have a good night. Tell Ariel I said hello and that I don't mind taking silver to her. At least it wasn't Buckowitz that was number one on the list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Will do. Thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime, bro. Talk to you soon. The Steve's Outdoor Adventures podcast is sponsored by Farwide, the game-changing free app that puts outdoor intelligence in the palm of your hand.